welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. stuff. Dr. Hatfield, open up a Bible with me to the book of John, fourth book in your New Testament, John chapter 8, verse 12. So if you have not guessed it, we are back in the book of John, the sequel. So in the second term, we kicked it off. We took a bit of a break in the holiday times, and now we're back. So in the first season of the book of John, we basically looked at this theme, come and see, this very evangelistic call, come and experience Jesus for yourself. And in this new version of our series, as we're taking the second half of the book, um, we want to say that, yes, John experienced Jesus for himself. It wasn't a philosophy or a teaching or a bit of moralistic just guidance. He experienced the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So he penned this book, this gospel that we call the good news according to John, because he saw people by the thousands get their lives upended by the good news of this person. And that's why this book, we've been saying, has this ability to not only introduce you, but reintroduce you to Jesus, who he is, his truth, his goodness, his beauty, his power. So we want to get into this book. And I love this. This is the main theme of the book. John 20 verse 30, we'll be getting to it a bit later. It says, Jesus before many other signs, but this, John says, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what? Religion, morals, you may have life in Him. We're calling this second series, More Life. And you're thinking, that's, that sounds very modern. No, friends, that's just the Bible, <laughs> because that's one of the greatest themes in this book. More than 40 times, it comes back to this idea of life, and not just any life, we spoke about the fact that it's Zoe life, it's God quality life. It's a life that, that goes beyond what we can just see and experience here. It's a life that's built on the acceptance and love and identity of Jesus for you. It's a life built on the purposes and the kingdom of God's ways. It's a life built with an eternal vision of the here and the later. He says, come and find life. I mean, let me just give you just a couple of examples of this just scriptures. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I give them eternal life that they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not coming to give you a picture of a one-day heaven. He says, I come to bring you life that begins the day and explodes into the new creation. So let's read together. John 8, verse 12. We left it last time with Jesus interacting with this woman who had been caught in adultery. We pick it up here. Verse 12 says, Jesus spoke to them again. And he said, I am the light of the world. 
Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I come from and I know where I am going. But you do not know where you come from or where you're going. You judge by human standards. And I judge no one. But if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself and the Father who sent me testifies about me. And so they asked him, where is your Father? Yes, you neither know me nor my Father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. And he spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said to them again, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 25, who are you? They question. Kind of a man says this kind of stuff. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true. And what I've heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know that he was speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but just as the Father taught me. I say these things. The one who sent me is with me and he has not left me alone because always I do what pleases him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So let's just leave it there for now. Guys, there are so many other parts of this passage that we had for today. Massive statements by Jesus. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's still coming up. There's a massive moment. If you're a young person and you like sport, maybe if you're a soccer fan, you've got Messi on your wall. If you're like a, if you're like a cricket fan or maybe a tennis fan, you've got Djokovic on the wall. Uh, if you're a rugby fan, you've probably got those beautiful blonde locks of Fuff with a Speedo on the wall. If you're a girl, maybe that's also the case. But for Jewish young people, you would have Abraham on your wall, the father of our faith for hundreds of years. And Jesus makes a statement, we don't have time for it today, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. It's crazy. So we can't get to all of that. Otherwise, we're going to preach through this book for two years. We have to make some decisions somewhere. So I actually had a whole other thought about traditional African religion and Western religion and how Jesus speaks into those things. But we'll get to that another time. I want us to look at this one statement Jesus makes. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, there's a guy called uh, Robert Withnow, and he's seen by many people as the authority, the sociologist of religion. He teaches out at Princeton University in the US. And he wrote a book recently called After Heaven. And I think he makes such a compelling case because he says for most young people, so some of the millennials still, Gen Y, Gen Z, they're saying that for these people, these young people, they are frustrated at the moment with the options given to them as to how to live your life with significance. Because you have science, which is a beautiful tool to understand the natural world, but most apply it in the world at the moment as scientism. It's my worldview. All I need is science and rationality, and then I can live a fulfilled life. Many people believed that a couple of decades ago. Young people are saying it's not enough. And then they met maybe with new age spirituality. Just be spiritual. So listening to uh, Zachary Levi, played in Shazam. 
And he was in this interview just saying, you know, for me, God is just the love that I radiate to all around me. And young people are saying, listen, that sounds great on Instagram, but you cannot live that way. It's too fluffy. And they're saying, you know what, traditional religion and moralism, I, I don't want it. It breaks me. It's, it's, it's crooked. And so all these options given, and they say, listen, I have got deeper questions than those things. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's my identity? What's my purpose? And I think in the Gospel of John, we are not presented with philosophy or scientism or just a good example that you can try and imitate. He shows us a person. In fact, he says this is the person. And if you were to come and meet this, see this person, you would find something deeper than all these things. You would find life. But how does he say it here? Because he makes a massive statement. If you don't understand the context of the statement, you're going to miss it. Because it's actually astounding what Jesus says here. So I want us just to look at three things today. And the first is it's the beauty and the horror of what Jesus just said, of the image that he's using. So read with me. He says there at the beginning, I am the light of the world. Highlight that. He says, anyone who follows me will what? Will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now that sounds very like, yeah, I've heard that a million times somewhere in my life. But do you realize what he's saying here? It's huge. So think about this for a moment. What is light? In our modern world, much more than even the, the original audience, we understand so much more as to what light does. And we've come to realize through science that light is both wondrous and horrifying. That's what light is, both of those things. It's a wonderful thing. It's a terrifying thing. Let's think about that for a moment. It's wondrous. Why? Because life gives us life. It gives us joy and truth, and it gives us beauty. First up, light gives us life. It's the source of all life. If the sun were to go away, we would go away. Plant life goes away. Everything goes away. Even think about it. Plants, they literally grow in the direction of the light. So they, they urge themselves into the light. We have got these creeper plants, these vines at our house. They literally climb to get to the light. Without light, there's no life. But secondly, light brings us truth. Without light, you cannot orient yourself around anything. Light brings you definition. It brings you orientation. It brings you the, the viewpoint that you have. One of our good friends just the other night, they've got two kids, and one of them cries out in the evening, night terrors. All the parents know that's a terror of your own life when they have those seasons. And she runs out, and as she goes into that dark room, she doesn't realize that they had put one of their kind of wooden stools out there. So she runs straight into it, and she breaks her toe solidly. So the rest of your foot, all your toes are saying, we're going this way. And that one toe says, guys, I'm going to go that way. Sharp left. Toe break. So without light, you cannot have the truth, friends, right? Thirdly, light is the basic source of joy. Man, it's been shown over and over when researchers have to spend long times at the poles, north or south, so often they end up in places of despair and depression. Because I'm not seeing the sun. Without the sun, I lose literally my source of joy. That's why I, as Joe, will never live in London, friends. Never. Because I come from the free state where the sun is powerful. So these long rainy days, not for me. In fact, there's a podcast I love to listen to, the Hoover Lab. It's a, it's a scientist, and he speaks of sleep science. And he says, if you want to just put your day on steroids... Get all the right juices flowing. He says, the soonest you can in the day, get for 20 minutes just into the sun. 
Let the sun just radiate on you. Why? Because the sun is the source almost of our joy. But here's the paradox. Yes, the sun brings us life, truth, joy. But the paradox is the sun is beautiful, but it's also horrifying. It can rob us of all those things as well, as much as it can give us. Because unmediated light is scary. It's really scary. So yes, we all know this. The more the ozone layer, that was a massive thing. If you're like a 90s child, you're the ozone layer is disappearing all over the show. But we all know this. If that thing gets thinner and it becomes more sparse, we die. You get fried. The, the deserts increase. The oceans are, are getting eroded away, basically. And all of us are losing our source of, of food and sustenance. The more unmediated light comes to you, the worse your life is. But also light can give us truth. Yes, it gives us orientation. I can see, you know, light particles hitting my retina and I can finally see what's happening around me. But unmediated light that hits you, oh man, that robs you of your sight. The thing about all those Bear Grylls survival shows, I love that dude. And every time he takes someone either to the desert or to one of the very icy spaces of our planet, what does he say to them first? Before food and shelter, anything else, you need to protect your eyes. Because unmediated light, even just reflecting from the desert or from the ice, it will fry your eyes. So you need to find something to cover yourself and your sight. All the millennials, who remembers the movie Deep Impact from the early 2000s? Anyone remember that movie? One, two, and the reason why you like, it rings a bell is because it came out and it had exactly the same plot in the same summer month as Armageddon. And no one could, so both of these movies, same plot, you know, asteroid, needs to go and blow it up, but no one could resist Bruce Willis, friends, and young Ben Affleck, not even like old, sad Ben Affleck, young Ben Affleck. And no one could resist Aerosmith singing, I don't want to close my eyes, I don't want to fall. Oh man, guys, that was massive. Millennials, that was massive. So no one, no one even remembers Deep Impact. Same story, they go out, they try and blow up this thing. But there's this horrifying moment in that movie after they've planted these, these you know, weapons to blow up this asteroid. One of the scientists, without realizing he doesn't have his UV visor on, and he just turns and he looks at the sun, just unfiltered, unmediated sun, and he's, his, his sight, his face is just burnt pretty horrifying in that movie. I'll never forget that. I was like, wow, that was unexpected and really horrifying. See, light gives us, yes, life, but it can also take it. Light gives us joy, but it can also take joy. Yes, it can give us truth, but it can also take it from us. How does it take joy from us? Can we be honest? All of us in the right light, we look like cover models. Isn't it true? Soft lighting, Instagram filter, um, have you ever gone to a shopping center or to a specific bathroom where they have those, those proper like lights where you do your makeup, like those, those circular lights? Have you ever put your face up to the mirror in any of those lights? It's horrible. You're like, my face looks like the moon that's been hit by like a million asteroids or something. What's go You're like, what is this creature from the deep that I'm just recognizing for the first time here? So yes, light can give us joy, how did we become depressed, but it can also rob us of joy. I think, in fact, to just set the joke aside, I think how often is it that when you and I are confronted with who we really are, how tough is that? 
when morally, emotionally, physically, yes, but spiritually, something happens in my life and I'm confronted, light, I'm confronted with who I am. I have a friend who, before he was a Christian man, he could not do anything else, but at least three to four times a week as a student, he had to be drunk. And he said the, the, the primary reason for it is to be with people. He could never be alone because then he would have to face himself. When we are faced with ourselves, sometimes it's the scariest thing imaginable. And so Jesus announces, I'm the light of the world. And you hear how profound this is? But we need to dig a bit deeper because, yes, there's this beauty and this horror in this image. But even more so, secondly, there's a shocking, shocking nature to this announcement that he makes. So read with me. It says here in verse 20. He says, he spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him. That's such a random detail. Jesus is teaching in this place and no one grabbed him. Why did John add that random little detail? And it's because he knows something that you and I don't know. And if we knew it, we would be as surprised because this announcement that Jesus makes, most Jewish people would just go up and start choking Jesus out from anger because of what he had said. So what is this context? First up, where and when is Jesus saying what he's saying? So verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. So the word again obviously means we need to go back into the passage. You need to scroll up again on your iPad or whatever you're reading from on your phone. Get away from WhatsApp for a second. Get back into the Bible. So scroll up again, and you're going to find the context. And what does it say? In chapter 7, we were there in last term. It says, Jesus was in Jerusalem on the last night of the Feast of Tabernacles. That he's doing this. And this was this incredible feast, seven days long. The Israelites, this agricultural kind of society, in the last season of, of the planting time, they have this feast. And the Feast of Tabernacles commemorated, it celebrated what? God rescuing not simply the people, the Israelite people from Egypt, from slavery, but taking them into the desert for an extended period of time. So during that time, they had no homes. They had no crops. They had none of these rhythms that they could enjoy. There was no harvest for the Israelites during that time. So in this festival, they were commemorating through all these outward expressions, the fact that God was the one who provided. So firstly, during this festival, they would live in these little booths, almost like a little thatch housings that they had made for themselves. It was often called the, the festival of booths because they would live in these little things to remember the fact that they did not have homes during that time that God took them into the desert. Secondly, they would have these massive bowls. They would just pour out water as an expression for the people to remember that when you were dying of thirst in the desert, as the rock was struck, God just provided water, which just flowed to quench the thirst of the people. And then thirdly, and this is the most important one of the bunch, every night in this very specific area of the temple, they would light these enormous candle holders. And these things were so massive, they said when all of them are lit at the end of, of, of each night, almost big parts of the whole city of Jerusalem would just go up in light. And these are people that don't have electricity. So when night comes, it's dark, most of the spaces. And suddenly light just envelops the city. These massive candle holders. They're commemorating all these things. So in that moment when the lights has just been put on, the, the bands would start playing, the people would start dancing. It's this beautiful, beautiful moment. But it wasn't just commemorating the fact that God had, had done all these things. Also the fact that God, when he took them into the desert, he was leading them. He was protecting them. How did he do that? If you go back into that 
passage in Exodus, what do we see? It says that as they come out of Egypt, out of slavery, they say that suddenly they see this thing that looks almost like a, like a pillar of cloud. And this thing leads them all throughout the desert. And when evening comes, when it becomes dark, this thing begins to radiate light. It begins at the darkest part of the evening. It almost looks like fire, just pure fire leading the people. And so when they came out of Egypt and the, the soldiers of Egypt pursued them, this, this fire just consumed these soldiers. When they had to go through the desert, this thing led them. And when they built the tabernacle where they would come around God, this thing just, it just came down upon the tabernacle. So this, this crazy, impressive showing of something leading them. Now the question is, what was that thing? And listen to what it says in Exodus 13, 21. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night. It was the Lord. This was not just some miraculous thing that happened in the Old Testament. God said, I come down to lead you. I come down to protect you. I will give you light myself. And here's the crucial thing. So every night at the end of this, this very last evening of this festival, that would be the saddest part of the whole festival of tabernacles. Why? Because the very last evening, they would not light these massive candle holders. And the reason for it is because they were saying, like, you know, the prophet Ezekiel, he said, Ichabod, he said, the glory is gone. The glory of God is no longer with the Jewish people. We have not seen the manifest presence of God like that in hundreds of years. Man, God used to be with us in such powerful ways. We've not seen that in this temple for so long. And that was such a sad moment. Think about Christmas. What's the worst part of Christmas is when you have to start putting all the decorations back. Isn't that the worst? Just emotionally, just like, who wants the new year anyway? Like, I'm just, I'm over it. Like, now I need to start exercising again and get all this holiday fat off me and all that. Like, I just can't deal with it. So what's meant to be like a beautiful moment, the moment you need to start putting that stuff away, it's actually the sad moment. So this was the saddest moment for the Israelites during this festival. Because instead of this radiating light, you stood there in this final evening and it's dark. It's cold. There is no light. And what does Jesus do? It says here, John 7, 37, just a bit higher, on the last and most important day of the festival, when no light was lit, Jesus stood up and it says he cried out. And what does it say in our passage? He said, I am the light of the world. In this moment of darkness, Ichabod, where is God? Where is the protection and the presence and the beauty of God? It's dark as every single year has been for decades. And Jesus stands up under those very candle holders in the dark. And he says, I am the light of the world. In fact, that thing that you long for, that you used to see Israelites, Jewish people, that was impartial. It was imperfect. It was temporary. But I am the very glory of God. Here I am. So can you imagine why the Jewish people would not just go up and strangle this man? How dare you say something like that? God, come to earth. Here I am. And more than that, just when you think like, Jesus, who says this stuff? Genuinely. 
Like there's scientism and religion and philosophy and good. And then there's this guy who says, I am. Who says that? And more than that, he says, follow this light. Follow, come. Come and follow this light. Because in it, you're going to find, if we said, man, light gives us truth, it gives us joy, it gives us life. He says, I am the ultimate life, truth, and joy. Come. So first up, he says, I'm the ultimate life. It's in me alone that you can truly experience life. When winter breaks, the sun comes in and things begin to grow. They begin to flourish. Jesus says, it's only when you don't see me as just a good, nice man who lived and died, but when I, in my full glory, when I come into your life and you into mine, when I come right up close on the inside of who you are, he says, suddenly you will begin to come alive. St. Irenaeus, the glory of God is man fully alive. That happens only through Jesus. So what is he saying? He says, listen, if you just want me as an example, I will, I will crush you. But if you allow me to be your source of life, you will come alive. But secondly, he says he's not just the source of ultimate life, but of ultimate truth. Yes, light can give us truth. It can rob us of truth. He says, I'm the ultimate source of truth. And what is Jesus saying? When he says, I'm the light of the world, I'm the, I'm the candle holder at the Feast of the Tabernacles, what is he saying? I'm the only way for you to truly know God. Listen, young person, can I tell you, there is no greater question in this world than this. If there is a God, who is he? What is he like? Can I know him? If the answer is no, then man, we come from nothing, we go into nothing, your life ultimately means nothing. You can find as much meaning and produce it as much as you want Everything will be meaningless in the heat death of the universe. But if there is a God, who is this God? How would you even begin to know him? And this Jesus says, there is one way to know him. I am he. And he's not saying, please hear my heart. He's not saying that no other religion or philosophy or person, that none of them have aspects of this truth. Because the truth of God, the image of God has been sown all over the world in various forms. But what he is saying is that all these other people and religions and philosophies, they are like the moon. And the moon is beautiful because what? It reflects the light of the sun. But there's something even more powerful than looking at the moon, and that is experiencing the sun itself. He says, listen, every other teacher of religion is saying, here is the way, here is the truth, here is life, there is God. Teach, chant, pray, go, pilgrimage, do, be a good person. There is the moon. And Jesus says, yes, there is the moon, but I am the sun. Come and experience God unfiltered through me. Unfiltered through me. That's why Hebrews 1 verse 3 so powerfully says, the sun, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. The exact expression of his nature. If you ask me, what is God? I say, you cannot start any other place than Jesus. You want to know God, young person? You want the meaning, purpose of your life? You can start nowhere else than Jesus. And lastly, he says, man, I'm the ultimate joy. I'm the ultimate joy that you can experience. So if you say, listen, do you want maybe 
I'm asking you today, do you want a beautiful lover in your life? Do you strive for a beautiful body? Do you spend quite a bit of money to go to beautiful places, experience beautiful things? Do you long to hear beautiful words and watch beautiful things? Jesus says those things are the great beautiful gifts of God, but they will never truly satisfy the deepest, deepest, deepest part of your soul. Each and every one of you know, you know what it feels like when you experience something, you out in nature or you out with friends or you watching a movie or you're listening to a song and you're just in tears. You're like, man, can life not just be like this all the time? And it just goes away. And Jesus says there's a reason for it because those things are beautiful moons and you are made for beauty. Come to the sun. Come to the sun. Here you will experience the truest beauty, and the deepest part of your heart. My time is eloquently running out. I have to make key decisions right here. So C.S. Lewis, maybe you say, okay, so what do I do with this? I guess it's fine to have this Jesus dude in my life, whatever. No, friends. Having him near you is not enough. Being in this building is not enough. Having a liking of him, some knowledge of him, being born in a household where some people speak about him. It's not enough. And here's the reason why. It's probably not because you, what you think. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, he says it like this. God has given us the morning star already. Yes, you can go and enjoy the gift of a sunrise on many fine mornings if you're ready to get up early enough. What more, you may ask, do we want than that? Ah, he says, we want so much more. We want so much more. We do not merely want to see beauty. We want something else which we can hardly put into words. We want to be united with the beauty we see. We want to pass into it. We want to receive it in ourselves. We want to bathe in it. Friend, in the most beautiful moments of your life, something so sad happens. All the lights go out at the end. And you say, man... Is this all there is? I thought this job and this spouse, this experience, this trip, this new city, this new relationship, this new church, this new friend, I really thought this time it would last. And the reason is not because your passions are not, are not good. It's because they're not aimed at the greatest thing that they can find. You do not simply want to be next to beauty, next to truth, next to life. You want to be in it. That's what your heart is crying out for. It's not that sex, money, and beauty, beds, bottles, and businesses are not good things. They're just not great enough things. Jesus is not calling you to lesser life, but to greater life. He's saying, come and swim in life. Enter into life. Don't settle for sitting here on a Sunday. He says, invite life to come and consume your life. Now, how does that work? How can that happen? Because all throughout the Old Testament, man, when people wanted to see, experience this life, they were just fried. <laughs> Unmediated presence of God. You are a wet noodle, friend. You're done. So how then if Jesus says, I am this glory, how can that work? Two reasons as we close. It's because he's the mediator of God's glory. Firstly, because he says, now I can give you, in Jesus, I can give you this light without overwhelming you. I can give you what you've always wanted, 
And I mean, if you think about the pillar of fire, if you saw that fire, what do you see? You're thinking, wow, okay, that's amazing. But that's about it. But when you see Jesus, the exact representation of God, and you see him raising people from the dead, you see him speaking words of life over those who need it most, when you see men confused about who they are, being called into a life of adventure and passion and knowledge, when you see him teaching without fear, when you see him, there's a father that is pursuing you and calling you home. And I speak from personal experience. When you see that Jesus, you don't just say, wow. You say, I want that. What he has, I want. What he has, I want, man. I, want, I don't want to be just a man living for what this world says is important. I want what Jesus has. And he says, I can give you that now. You can see the Father without your spiritual redness just frying from his beauty. But secondly, the thing is just, you know, in the Old Testament, they couldn't handle this full expression of God's just glory. And the reason is not simply because we are too weak to handle it, but it's because we are too sinful. We are broken. We are hurting. We are in rebellion. We are angry. And God says, in me, there is pure light. There is no darkness. And so what needs to happen? You know, one night, Jesus in Luke 9, he takes his threes, Peter, James, and John, he takes them onto this mountain, and suddenly he begins to radiate, almost like the pillar of cloud. It's almost as if his face, everything just becomes pure light. They are freaked out properly. And suddenly, these old legends of the past, Elijah and Moses, now they there. Like, what Like what trip? What did we eat with Jesus just like a couple of minutes before? And what does Peter say? We, in the Greek, they speak to Jesus about his what? Not your English translation or something like you're going away or you're leaving. It's the word exodus. He says, when is your exodus happening? And what does Peter do? He says, let me build you some booths. Why? Peter even gets it. He says, the true exodus is happening right here. The true exodus. Why? Because Jesus is the one. He is the lamb who is slain so that your door can be painted over. He is the rock that is struck so that water can flow into your life. He is the one that's broken apart in the desert so that you can feed off and live forever. He is the fire as he's consumed on the cross, he lives the life that you and I should have, could never have lived. He dies the death that we should have died, and he invites us to say, come and find life in me. The exodus is done. I've done it. I'm inviting you into it. So just a thought, maybe, for those who are Christian and those who are not today. Just a thought for us, if you are a Christian here this morning, What's the invitation of Jesus for you then? It's this. Don't live to gain the light. Impress the light. Try and regain the light. God, I've made so many mistakes again. I'm not worthy of the light. No, he says live from the light. Live is the moon, friend. The sun is never going out. The sun is ever powerful. Just reflect the light. How can you do that? Reflect the light by living in the light. 
Let's be honest, friends. Many of us Christians here, as you sit here today, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that often. You are hiding things from the light. You are hiding things from your spouse. You're hiding things from your employer. You're hiding things from your parents. You're hiding things from the closest people in your life. And guess what? You will find nothing but confusion, isolation, and pain in the darkness. Jesus says, I've made you in light. I've made you for the light. Bring it into the light. You're only going to find freedom there. You're only going to find freedom in community. Secondly, live attractively. He's saying from the place of light, is there something that reflects into the lives of the people around you? Friends, we all say, if I win the lottery, people will know Jesus is good. Who's that guy in Gauteng? 99 million rand. That shows people Jesus is good, right? No. It's when cancer hits and I suffer differently. It's when I'm retrenched and my ultimate hope is not in a salary. It's when I have the option to do everything I've ever wanted with my money, but I'm so consumed with the kingdom that I say, God, who can I bless? What business can I build to your glory, God? How can I raise others up? It's when there's something different in us. Because it's not us. It's him just reflecting in us. Thirdly, live courageously from the light. Friends, we need to regularly hear from people, stop doing that. You're making us look bad. Listen, in this business, this is how all of us work. We cut these corners. That's just the industry. We say, no, we cannot do that. Stop it. You, you don't do that. You're going to expose all of us. In this country, in this family, if I want to tell a racist joke, I will do that. I'm sorry, I can't do that. I can't laugh at that. I can't engage with that. If people are not regularly telling us, stop that then maybe we should say, Jesus, make me courageous. Make me courageous in this world. And lastly, live hopefully, friends. Do you know that the sun has risen, but it's not fully risen yet? There is something so incredibly powerful and beautiful waiting for us in the new creation. So yes, the economy is scary at the moment. How do you even drive to church in this morning? I just bless the Lord that you could even find the petrol to be here. Am I worried about politics? Yes. Am I worried about my health and my kids in this country? Yes. Many of these things consume me, but there's a moment where I realize it's not the fact that this life will be easy, but that this life is not the end. What I do in this life will matter into eternity. There is a new creation coming, and it starts today. I'm not going to live as if this is all that there is. So I'm going to stick it out in this country and live for Jesus bring his light in this country. Don't wait for politics. Don't wait for things to change. Be the city changer that God has made you to be. Shine, reflect his light. You are the moon. The sun will not set. C.S. Lewis once said, if every person tonight goes blind, the sun will come up tomorrow. The sun will come up tomorrow, friends. And lastly, if you're saying, but I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I believe this stuff. I don't know if this makes sense to me. How do I know if this is starting to impact me? Can I tell you how? It's almost when, like I said, when winter is done and, and the sun starts, you just see the growth. You just see Pretoria becoming just green all over. When that growth starts happening, you know something is happening. But you know what often happens? If you're not a Christian and you're starting to engage this Jesus seriously, you either frightened or you are elated. 
oh my goodness, like, what could this mean? Or you're saying, what, what will this mean? But the one thing you cannot have is indifference. Jesus, whatever. If that's where you are, then no, Jesus has not taken root in your heart. If you are terrified of what God might mean in your life, press in. If you're beginning to be elated, what could this mean? Press in. But if you're indifferent, I'm asking you to pursue him. So can I pray for us today? Friends, I believe Jesus is inviting you not to just come to church every now and then. Not just try and be a good person. But he's saying there is more life waiting for you. I am that light. Come to me. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for every Christian here this morning that is desperate, God, to live a courageous life, a different life, a life that's in the light, that's not hidden. But I pray today that they would not be committed to make changes, but they would just be just struck again by the beauty and the grace of Jesus. May their moons just reflect the unmitigated, un, unmediated light of Jesus. But I pray that you would challenge us as a church to not live in the darkness. But I pray, God, for people this morning that say, I want to know this Jesus. I pray for young people specifically. I pray for men specifically, God. If there's darkness in our lives, God, may you come and announce, I am the light. May we just come and fall before your feet today. Say, Jesus, wash me, clean me, redeem me. Show me my sonship and identity in you. Raise me up, God, as a reflection of your image. In Jesus' name.